Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Our text is verse number 3. And we're going to be looking at the whole of the chapter and, and even some of the, the, the previous chapter um, because well, context is everything. Uh, however, uh, this is a song that, that Moses and the people of Israel are singing um, in response to a victory that God has given them. And it's a very well-known victory. We all know about it. Uh, we'll talk about it again just as a reminder. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and do that. This is a, uh, chapter 15 is a response to chapter 14. And what happens in chapter 14? Well, we know that the people of Israel have been, up to this point, in bondage for 400 years. Now, we say that flippantly. We say that, we just throw that out there and say, well, Israel is in bondage. But do you understand what it meant to be in bondage? They were slaves to the Egyptian people. The Israelites were slaves to the Egyptian people for 400 years. They had no ownership over their own bodies. They had no ownership of anything. They were forced to work in the worst of circumstances. If they did not like to do it, they were beaten. In fact, when Moses, when Moses ran from Egypt because of Pharaoh, he was, he was running because he had just killed one of the Egyptians who was beating one of the, one of the slaves. This wasn't a, 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 an easy time. While some had it easier than others, they may have been slaves in people's homes or houses. Uh, they, they may have been cooks. They, uh, but but the, the work and life for, for, the, for the Israelite people had been very difficult. In fact, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, when God first calls uh, Moses to uh, to go to the people. It says that he, that he heard the people of their of, of Israel heard their groaning, and he remembered them. Now God had made a promise to to Abraham years before when he made a covenant. He said that they would be in this bondage for four hundred years, but then he would send somebody to bring them out of that. And we know what happened in that in that period of time. There, Moses goes down to uh, Moses goes down to Egypt, and he uh, the, he performs certain miracles. Uh, some of those miracles were for were, were for uh, the people of Israel, so they would understand that the Lord He is God. Remember, Moses said, "How shall they know who uh, who it is that sent me?" And he said, "Tell them that I am." sent you. But they, th those, those miracles were going to be proof to the people of Israel that this wasn't some, some, nut, uh, some, some crazy guy just coming in and saying he was going to lead them to freedom. They saw the power of God in Moses' hands when he cast down that rod, when he turned the water to blood, when, 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 the, when the, the flies came and the frogs came and the, listen, when the sky turned black. They saw that and they saw the power of God. And so did Pharaoh. You have to remember, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Now, we know that the, the Bible says that, that at times Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible also tells us at times that God hardened his heart. Now, God knew what he was going to do, knew what his response was going to be. But in the end, the final judgment, the final plague was that the, 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 the oldest, the firstborn, uh, would die of every household. And we saw, we saw through the, the, the Passover, the story of the Passover, the, the symbolism of the, 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 the spotless lamb that was to be sacrificed, the blood that was supposed to be placed in the doorpost so that the, the angel of death would pass over and not kill the firstborn of, of every house. And I'm certainly grateful that the blood of Christ was placed on the doorpost of my life and that I was spared. When the people of Israel 
left, they left with God's hand upon them, so much so that uh, they, would, they went into these homes that they had been slaves in, they knocked on the door and they said, come on in and take whatever you want. They left with, with money and food and jewelry and gold and silver. They didn't own these things. These things were given to them. Why? Because God is going to have use for it later on. It wasn't just that they could line their pockets and, and put a hurting on the Egyptians who would hurt them. God, God had a plan in all of this, and, and God brought them out of there, and they marched out of there, and they were, they were happy to be marching out of the city. But we know what happens next. Right? They get out of the city. They come to. They get out of the out of the city of, of, of Egypt. There, they 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 begin to, to to travel around, and they get themselves between what you call a rock and a hard place. They got forests and mountains on one side, forest and mountains on the other side, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them. And guess who got angry? And now who's behind them? Pharaoh and all his armies. So so we we know that. We know that uh, they're in a difficult position, and there was nothing that they could do about it. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, nowhere to go, and, and they had no weapons to fight with. It wasn't like they were an army. They were a bunch of slaves. They had the women and the children and their old folks that were there. They were all there together. But God. I love chapter, I love, uh, chapter 14, verse 15. Uh, I believe it's verse 15. It's verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, or fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show, uh, show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Sometimes it's just, we just need to stop and stand still and see God work. We get to a point where we know that there's nothing more that we can do. There's nothing, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And that's where the, the people of Israel were. They, they, Moses said, listen, just stand still and see the work of God. And, and Moses took that rod and he held it over the water. And the waters parted. An absolute miracle. They've seen miracles already. They've seen God perform miracles, but this was a miracle of miracles. They, they, they didn't walk across on muddy ground. They didn't have to drudge through the mud. They walked across on dry ground. And I don't know about you, but I've been poking at the, the fish trying to catch something on the way. That's something that, that's just me. However, what happens? I walk across on dry ground, and they turn around, and there's that army that's still there. And they're coming through behind him, and suddenly the, the dry ground turned to muddy ground. The, uh, the, the, the chariots began to get stuck, and, and Moses held up that rod of God one more time. And that enemy that had tried to destroy them, that enemy that wanted to annihilate them as a people, the water came in and flooded and killed them all. And the response that we see in, in verse, verse 15, that song, that, the, the, the chapter 15, the song that we see them sing is, is the result of the work of God that he had seen, uh, the, the salvation of God that they had seen in chapter 14. Look at verse, uh, verse 30 and, thir and 31 of, verse, of chapter 14. It says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Israel, or out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And listen, I look back at, our, at 2020, and 2020 has been a year, has it not? 
<laughs> I am thankful that we are at the end of 2020, that, that it's almost over. We're not going to have to say, well, it's 2020. You know, what's going to happen next? Somebody said something about uh, uh, they're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I feel like I'm in a shoe store and it's an earthquake. And then it's all dropping and everything's going wrong. And it's been, uh, we went from everything being normal on the very beginning of the year to, to somehow we couldn't get together for church anymore and the doors had to be shut and we weren't sure what was going to happen and, and different restrictions being put on us and the, and the, the, the fear and the, the, the media and the politics and just all of this mess and the division amongst people uh, between races and, and creed. It's, it's all just, it's, it's terrible, it's wicked, it's awful. And I don't know about you, but I have felt some kind of, that most of this, while it's physical in nature, there's a bit of spiritual battle that's been going on in the hearts of Christians. Because if you're home, and listen, I understand those that need to stay home and those, those that are in danger, I'm not trying to, to, to make, uh, but when you're home, it is easier to stay home. And when you're not part of the fellowship that the church was meant for, uh, you're, uh, you, you are missing out and you're becoming uh, uh, further and further deprived of what God intended for the church. And if we are here together and some of us aren't here, listen, we are also feeling some of that loss and, and, and hurt and pain. Listen, there's been division outside of the church when you look at all that stuff. There's been division inside of the church. There's just division. It broke my heart. Uh, this morning my wife said, hey, did you see it? I'm not even going to say the name of the person because some of you know them. Uh, he's a pastor that had posted something about Christmas. Uh, and, and uh, man, it just it blew up. And there's this Christians arguing back and forth over Christmas and on a Sunday, no less. Division. That's not of God. There's a satanic battle. There's a satanic attempt to destroy our faith. And it's always been there. But, but this year, it seems like it's been a nonstop. But can I tell you, we have made it to the other end of 2020. And we're still here. Now, Satan hasn't been cast down, and, and, and he's not been destroyed, but I've read the end of the book, and he is. Uh, I, I, his, he lost the war back in, uh, back in 2,000 years ago, not when Jesus was born, but when Jesus died and rose again. The battle was finished and done then and there. He has no power other than the power that we allow him to have. Yes, he is a danger for us, but God has given us the, God has given us the power, the victory, our faith that can overcome Satan. We come to chapter 15 and we see... We see this uh, song that they begin to sing, and, and we'll look at some of, these, some of the things here in the, the first couple of verses in a minute, but, but verse 3 really kind of stuck out to me. And I believe it, it really, it, 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 all of this is a response, and it's centered around this, this truth that we see in chapter 3. I'm sorry, in verse 3. Let's look at two different truths. And, and we're going to go from there. Verse 3 says this, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Father God, I pray that you would be with us now. God, I pray that you would help me to have the power to preach this, the, the ability to bring forth the truth of your word, Lord, that there is no help outside of Christ, that there is no hope outside of Christ, or there is no future outside of Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us as children of God to remember that. 
Lord, uh, that we rely upon you instead of ourselves, that we rejoice in you instead of, instead of whatever pale victories we might be able to afford ourselves. And God, for those that are outside of Christ, I pray that you would help them to rely upon him, to by faith place their trust in him. Lord, may Christ be glorified this, this, this morning. Lord, may he be lifted up. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. Now this is what's called as a, what's known as a, it's a, it's a big word. I, I paid 50 bucks for it. Uh, you know, that's $50 words. It's called anthropomorphism. It's when we place a human characteristic on, on uh, something that does not have human characteristics. It isn't human. So like you see the Disney characters and they make it like a person. That's called anthropomorphism. You know why they do that? To make that, that warthog more understandable to you, relatable to you, because warthogs don't act like people. I've never seen one act like a person. Dogs, we, we do the same thing with dogs, right? The Bible also does it with God. It gives us, gives God, or, or doesn't give God, but assigns God these, these, human, these human traits so that we can better understand his character. So, so just like the Bible says that the hand of the Lord moved, does God really have hands as a spirit? No. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord seeth everything. Does he really have eyes like you and I have? No. What are, what are those things? Those are, those are anthropomorphisms. Those are truths, human characteristics assigned to God so that we can then understand something about God. So here we have this, this anthropomorphism, big word. I can't even pronounce it. It says, the Lord is a man of war. Now, does this mean that, that he is a man? Absolutely not. It's giving us a characteristic. What is a man of war? It's someone who knows how to fight. Right? It's, somebody who, it's not somebody who's going to run away from a fight, who's going to run away from battle. He's not shaking his boots when trouble comes up. A, a man of war is somebody that you want beside you when, when there's a battle coming up. A man of war is a guy that you want behind you when the bully comes to beat you up. And, and uh, you're worried. that you're, You know that you're not big enough, but hey, I got this guy on my side. That's what a man of war is. And can I tell you that God is a man of war. That God is the one that I want on my side when, when uh, I, I am going to face battles. Because the truth is, I'm going to face battles. This, year, this past year, we have all faced battles, not just in our church, but in our country and across the world. And the truth is, every year is a year that we face battles. But 2020, for some reason, because of the global pandemic, it, just, it's, it seemed almost more satanic and oppressive than anything else because it doesn't just affect me, it affects everybody. People have lost jobs, people have lost their lives, people have lost, lost their, their homes. Uh, it's, been, it's, been, uh, it's been a difficult thing. Uh, the governments have come down and, and pl placing regulation on, on people in, in a country where we're free. And listen, it's, it, it's in my, my, uh, my patriotic side that wants to jump up and fight back, say, those are my freedoms and those are my rights. But, but, uh, so they come down upon all those things. It, it feels like a, oppression. Satanic. God's trying to destroy, not God, Satan's trying to destroy us. And he is. But I've got somebody on my side. Think about this. Think about all the hard things that you went through. And you look back, and guess what? You're still here. The battle isn't over. You haven't quit. You haven't run. You haven't lost. 
If you're a child of God, you know why you're here? Because God is a man of war. No matter how difficult things have gotten in your life, no matter how hard it was to get out of your, uh, to get out of your bed and overcome this and overcome that, or, or whatever it is, God is on your side, and he will give you the victory. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to wonder. Now listen, it can be an army of a million to an army of two. As long as it's you and God, you're on the winning side. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, it was Daniel and God against everybody else. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were casting the fiery first, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego against everybody else. But there was a fourth one in the fire. Do you remember that? Like unto the Son of God. Listen, it doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what our trial is. It doesn't matter how hard it is to get up or how hard it is to take that next step. If God is on your side, you will win this battle. Now, winning the battle doesn't always look the same for everybody. We, we, can, we, have, we can have victory because of our faith, and it's our faith that overcomes the world. But when I read Hebrews chapter 11, some people had victory. With some, they overcame, they overcame kingdoms, and they, they did all kinds of amazing things. And, but there were some who were tortured. There were some who were burnt at the stake. There were some who were sawed, in, sawed asunder or sawed in two. And the Bible says that the world was not worthy of them, and, but by their faith, they all overcame. We, we, can't, we cannot look at the results of our life and the results of it, and all the things that have happened to us, and say, well, this person had faith and this person didn't have faith. All I can do is I can look at myself, and I can see whether I had faith and what God did in response to that faith. God may not pick me up out of my fiery trial. He may not stop the mouth of the lions, but he'll let me trust him all the way through it. Amen? He'll be there with me all the way through it. The Lord is a man of war. Now, the second part of this verse uh, kind of gives us better understanding of this and, and, and uh, helps us to, to really add to it. So let's look at that. It says, verse, verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The word Lord is, is all capitalized, if you notice in your Bible. In fact, uh, the, the first part is capitalized as well. That Lord means Jehovah. It's, it's uh, the name not spoken. They didn't, they didn't, the people of Israel did not say Jehovah because uh, it was a special name. It means this, the self-existent one, the holy one, the created one, or the, 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 the creator of all the universe. Uh, uh, it means this, it, it, he, was, he was there at the beginning before anything else was. He doesn't rely upon anything else to sustain his life. He is life. He'll be there all the way to the end until if everything else is destroyed, guess what? He'll still be there because he doesn't rely upon anything else. He has all the power there is known to be in all of the universe because he created it. And because, not only did he create it, but it consists because of him. So, so here when he says, listen, this man of war, he's bigger than any other man of war. That is bigger than any other soldier you'll ever see. And this man of war is, the, is Jehovah. The Almighty, the All-Powerful, God of God's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no one higher. There is no one greater. There is no one bigger. It is Jehovah. That is His name. 
Remember, Moses is singing this song after having seen what God did with the, with the, the, nation, uh, with the nation of Egypt as, as Pharaoh and his armies were swallowed up. They saw the bodies of, the, of those men floating, the, 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 their dead faces. In fact, the first two couple of verses talk about the horse and his rider are cast into the sea. And he's saying, look what God did for us! Now, folks, I want, you to, I want you to stop for a second and I want you to think back to your life this last year. And whatever struggle that you were going through, whatever problem that you had. And listen, there were times, that I, I, I can think of times now where I prayed with some of you over certain needs and over certain problems. I prayed for some of you, even if I wasn't with you, over different, different needs and different problems. And God prevailed. And I want you to look back in your life and remember, the Lord, He is God. This phrase, this, these statements... There are a couple of different, we're going to talk about some reactions to these phrases, and to this phrase, the Lord is God. The first is this, a passionate rejoicing. Verse 1 says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. It, it, it amazes me. I can go to a football game, or I can go, well, not anymore. <laughs> Uh, when back when we used to go to football games and baseball games, and uh, I can remember that I, I who likes baseball? Anybody? Some. I'm not a huge fan. I cannot watch it on television. If I'm there in real life, I can watch a game and I can enjoy it. Uh, uh, it seems to be that way with anything, uh, but but baseball is one of those ones that I, I really got, I kind of got to be there. We took the kids down to watch uh, the who, who the Portland Sea Dogs uh, a, a couple years ago. In the middle of, for, for our family, one of the, uh, a big, a couple of big trials. Our van died, like, the days before that. Uh, the church van died on the way back from that. And, and there were some things that were going on. And, and I can remember sitting at that game, and it was a long game. They were playing another team that was just about just as good as they were. It was, like, two to two, and they went from, and they'd only scored in the first inning, the first two innings. It was like inning three, inning four, inning five, inning six, inning seven, inning eight, inning nine, inning ten, inning eleven, inning twelve. Inning. It went on forever and ever. And I don't like baseball that much. <laughs> I was ready for it to be over. It was getting late. I've got little kids. Uh, uh, Hannah was, was, was a couple years younger. Zeke was only like two. And you know how difficult it is to keep a two-year-old engaged at that time? You know, and I, he, he wanted none of it. So finally... This guy gets up to bat, and he hits what looks like it's going to be an easy grounded ball, and the guy missed it and tipped off the tip of his glove and kept rolling, and he made the first base, and he made the second base, and yeah, I got up, and I screamed so loud and so excited. I was so excited. I don't scream like that ever, but it wasn't just me. It was everybody that was there. Why? Because something had finally happened, and in my heart, it was, we're going to go home. Yes. We're going home. It's over. Man, I rejoiced over something that I really cared less about. I rejoiced because I was getting to go home. But when I think back to, 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 to what God has done in my life, why is it so hard sometimes to rejoice and to passionately praise God for something that should, I should truly, really care about? I can remember when, I, when, when my first son was born and I cried. In fact, I cried every time when all my kids were born. 
that those are important times in my life, and I rejoice. And listen, I know we all rejoice differently, and I know we're in the Northeast, and up here it's hard to get somebody to do more than raise a pinky or, or <clears throat> to praise God. I, I come from down south where we have Brother Robbie Morrison come in. I come from down south. come from the Midwest. We have Brother Robbie Morrison who's from uh, West Virginia, and he'd come out here, and I don't have a, and he'd have a red handkerchief, and he'd be, yeah! you all would think I was crazy if I did that up here. And I'm not expecting any of you to do it out there. But my goodness, we should be passionately rejoicing over what God has done for us this last year. And the victories that we have seen and, 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 and the things that we've been able to endure. How many of those Israelites lived and died in that 400 years, never seeing the freedom that was promised? Now, finally, they had seen freedom. And they'd seen it given to them at the hand of a mighty God who had done things that were impossible to, to imagine. And now they're rejoicing. Look back at your life, and I want you to think about what God has done in your life. What God has given you victory over. How God has blessed and moved and worked in a way that, listen, not I, that I couldn't work, or not in a way that you could work, but in a way that God could work. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song. And listen, I don't care how loudly you sing. I don't care how, uh, how, if you jump up and down or if you, whatever you do, uh, I just want you to praise God with your voice. The Bible says, if, Jesus said that if, if, if his followers, his disciples didn't cry out, the rocks would. The Bible says that let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And from the book of Psalms, do you have breath? You're all wearing masks. Or most, uh, okay, so, okay, I'll breathe in. Everybody breathe out. You should be praising God. Every moment of every day is a gift from you. You should be praising the Lord. The, the, the first reaction to, to the fact that God is God and God is almighty and all-powerful and has given us the victory should be passionate praise. We should praise God for what he has done. Continue on in verse 1. We see his possessed strength. Then sing Moses and the children of Israel this song of the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. I'm so glad for what God has done. Now, notice verse 2 The Lord is my strength and song. I don't know about you, but I've, I've come to understand that I don't have the strength to endure certain things. There are certain battles and certain temptations that I have tried to go through on my own, and guess what happens? I fall flat on my face. That's why one of my favorite verses is Psalm chapter 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and though he fall, because guess what? I fall. He will not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I'm grateful that every time I fall, God picks me up. And listen, when I need strength, God is there with the strength. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, uh, he says, by his strength and by his power. 
Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, 31 tells us that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It isn't your strength that's renewed. It's God giving you the strength that you need and, and enabling you to continue on. That even though you're running, you'll not grow weary. Even though you're walking, that you'll not faint. Listen, we all have limits to our, our strength and our powers and our abilities and, and all of those things. We're not limitless, but God is. We praise God, we rejoice over the possessed strength that we have in him. Also, the, for that personal salvation that we see, uh, continue on in verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And listen, we, be, we think of God as God of all creation and God of all things, and he is our Savior, and that's very true. When Jesus came to die, he died for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says that all have sinned in control of the glory of God, and so he died for all of us. But I am thankful that he didn't just die for all of us. He died for me personally. When I, he was hanging on that cross, I was on his mind. So were you. But listen, he was thinking about me. He knows, that every, he knows the number of hairs on my head. And according to my wife, they're getting fewer and fewer. And he keeps a running count. Praise God that he knows me that well. He knows you too. He knew the situation that I was in. He knew, he knew my background and my, my heart. He knew every thought and intent in my heart. And he loved me anyways. And I don't understand it other than God is good. But when he saved me, he wasn't just our Savior. He saved me. He was my Savior. So when I think about what God has brought me out of, he is my Savior. There's a personal, uh, personal uh, attachment to this. It isn't just, well, he's good and he loves everybody. No, it's me. And it's you. We see also a promised sanctuary here in this rejoicing. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They are coming out of Egypt a place where they didn't own the, the, the homes, the roof over their head. They didn't own the pillow that they slept on. Those things were given to them, and allowed, they were allowed to use it. But it all belonged to somebody else. They did not have, for the last 400 years, an altar. They did not have a, a temple. They did not have a sanctuary. There was no tent where they could all go and worship God. The, the, the purpose for, for Moses to get to going in to get Israel was that they could go out and worship God. And on the way out, as, as they've seen what God has done, Moses says, I will build a sanctuary. I will build a place where we can go and we can worship God. Why? He says, God, I'm going to promise to go there. I'm going to promise to, 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 to exalt you, to lift you up, to worship you, and to praise you. Why? Because he loved God. And we know that God comes to give him the the the. the, the, the uh, the blueprints for the tabernacle telling him what he was going to need and, and how much gold and silver and the, all the different things. Guess what? They didn't carry, they carried those things out with them. All of it was planned by God, but God put it in his heart. And listen, there should be in our, in our hearts. Listen, you don't need to come to a place like this to worship God. We are to come together as a family of God to, to fellowship, to encourage one another. God, God tells us that, teaches that we're to, to not forsake the, the assembling of ourselves together. But you don't have to be here to worship God. You can worship God in your 
private place. There should be a place in your home separate from everybody where you go, by, go to be by yourself every single day and you worship God right there. You get on your knees and you pray and ask God for help in time of need. You praise Him for the good things that He's done. You, you, you honor and glorify Him with, with, with your words and your thoughts and your hearts. You read His word and study and surrender yourself to Him and, and, and live obediently unto His word. Listen, there should be a place of habitation in your life where you spend time with God. Why? Because he is God. He isn't something that you've built for yourself. He is not, uh, he is not a, uh, uh, something that you created with your own hands. This is a problem, especially here in America, where, where we say, listen, I, I'll worship the God that I, that I believe in. Problem with that. You can assign different attributes. You can become anthropomorphic yourself. And say, my God is a God of this and a God of this and a God of this. But my God would never do this. Did you make him? Or did he make you? You did not put the ingredients of God together. You did not name the characteristics. He tells us who he is. And he tells us in his word. We do not get to create God. We just come to worship him because of who he is. And as we acknowledge that he is God, we'll surrender ourselves to him, we'll fall down on our knees before him, and we'll worship him as he is. Jehovah. So we see the passion rejoicing. We see the personal reflection. Starting in verse, after verse 3 here, they begin to look at what, they begin to look at what God did specifically for the people of Israel here. We see the, the great demise of Egypt. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he, hath he cast into the sea, and, hath, and his chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. Look at verse 5, uh, the depths have covered them and they sank into the bottom as a stone. There's a grand demise. We, saw what, we, we know what happened. God destroyed uh, Pharaoh's army as he was coming to destroy God's people. And listen, Satan is on his way to destroy God's people. And Satan has a desire to do that, to destroy the church, sometimes from without, many times from within. But, but I can, I'm glad when I can look back and I can rejoice at what God has done. Sometimes we don't necessarily understand all that God is doing while he's doing it. But, and sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes it's scary. But if we just stop and we stand back and we watch what God does, it's amazing how God blesses. In January, I'll have been the pastor here for five years. years one year prior to that was one of the worst years I've ever experienced in church anywhere. Here at this church, if you were here, you understand what I'm talking about. It was a very difficult year for our church. So why did we have to go through all that? I don't know, but God had a purpose for it. And if I stand back and I, I, can, I can wonder why God did this or why God did that, I don't know. But what I can say is that God has worked and God has healed and God has continued to bless this church. It didn't die six years ago. It's still here six years later with people that still love God. Some of you were here. Some of you weren't here. But can I tell you, God has always been here. So we personally reflect back in our own lives, whether it's a personal lives or for a church, and we can look at the, 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 the great victory the, or the grand demise of, of our enemies. 
Secondly, we see the, the glorious display of God's power. We see it here in verse 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together, and the floods stood upright as in heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the, of the sea. It's, it's amazing when we look back in our, in our lives, what God has done. We, listen, we may not necessarily be able to attribute this to it or that to it or, or how God did it, but we can look back and see what God did. And we know that it was done by God's power and God's strength. It's not something that I could do. It's not something that you could do. It isn't even something that we could all do together. It's amazing when people work together what they can accomplish. And God, God has a purpose for that. Uh, the, the whole idea of winning the, winning the loss of the, uh, of the world to Christ, that's, that's how God's plan is, is that we all work together in telling others about Jesus Christ. But, but listen, it, it, beyond what we can do, what God can do is even greater, because the truth is, we can all work together, but if we don't do it in the power of God, ain't nobody getting saved or, or, any, or any lives being changed. We see the glorious display of God's power. We see the, the guaranteed denial that even though God, God in his might and his power was coming against the enemy, the enemy, the enemy said that, that there's nothing he could do. Verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Listen, no matter what we try to do for the Lord, Satan is always on the other side saying, I will do this and I will do this. Do not think that you are out, if you're serving God, that you're out of his sights he's watching you he knows you he knows your weaknesses you are never at a point where 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 satan is not going to or or is not trying to cause you to fall and the more you're trying to serve god the more you're in his sights Bible says that the first first peter says that that he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour you are in his sights he is looking for you. He, he is laying his traps for you. And, and he's going to cause you to try to cause you to stumble and fall to ruin your testimony. But I love the fact that he says, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. But verse 10 says what God did in response. Thou didst blow with thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead to the mighty waters. As Pharaoh sat, sat there watching the Israelites walk across on dry ground, in his mind he says, I am going to destroy them. I'm, I'm going to come down upon them and, and take their heads off with my sword. I'm going to run them down under my chariots. I'm going to do this and this and this. And God said, oh yeah? Satan is looking at each and every one of us, and he knows your weaknesses. He says, I'm going to do this in his life, and I'm going to cause this problem in her life, and I'm going to cause this to happen in this life, and you watch them fall. And remember the sovereignty of God as shown in the book of Job. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Difficult things happen to good people. And while I don't necessarily always understand it, I do know what we should do give honor and glory and deference to God. Because while Satan said, you placed a hedge of protection about that man Job, God said, do what you want with him. Just don't, take, don't, just don't touch his body. And Job lost everything. But what does it say about Job? That he never 
accused God. And they did not charge God foolishly. Why? Because of his faith in God. So we see the guaranteed denial of, of the enemy, but the glowing divinity. Verse 11, Moses in his song, the people in their song said, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth is swallowed up in them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. We, we really need to think about God and the nature of God, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's long-suffering, God's power. Man, we, 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 we do not praise God enough. I appreciate the last, the last song we sang just before the message, the, the chorus. We don't, we don't know it very well. But thou art worthy, O Lord. He is worthy. The book of Revelation talks, uh, and I know many people uh, kind of shy away from Revelations because of, uh, of the, the different pictures and, and the, the, future, the future is talking about. But, but there's, a part, there's a part of Revelation where it talks about they were looking for somebody to, to open a book and there was nobody found worthy until Christ came along. And the angels cried out, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Can I tell you, He is worthy. He's worthy to be praised. He is holy. The angels of the Bible says in Isaiah 6, 6, uh, Isaiah 6 say, Holy, holy, holy. We need to come to a point where we understand that God is worthy of our praise, not because of our circumstances, and even not because of our victories. He is worthy of our praise because He is our God. Notice that the next in verse 14, the generated despair. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt, melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be as still as the stone till the people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Uh, what's this talking about? It's talking about the people of Israel. They've, they've just left uh, Egypt. They've crossed, over, uh, uh, they've crossed over the Red Sea, and they're, they're in a time of transition, and God is going to lead them uh, to the promised land. And what they're talking about is the people of the promised land, the Edomites, the Ittites, the, the Hittites, the, all the other ites. They're all there, and they've all heard of what God has just done. And if you remember when Joshua goes, goes over, they send their spies over, and they, they, they get there, and they they hear of what God has, God has done. They're already afraid before the Israelites ever got there. When, when, when Satan heard of the victory, when, when, when our enemies and the unbelievers hear of what God has done in your life, don't you just might think that give them a view and an understanding of who God is. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, we need to reverence God, but if you're not reverencing God, can I tell you there is reason to be afraid? The Bible says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We see the, the despair, the generated despair, the gentle direction, verse 17. It says, Thou shalt bring them, the people of Israel, in and plant them in the mountains of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee, to dwell in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. 
He says, God, you're going to bring us into that promised land. And listen, we're, we don't need to look at necessarily the circumstances we're in right now. Listen, the Israelites walked around for 40 years in that wilderness, but there came a point when God led them into the promised land. You're going to be on this earth for a little while. Can I tell you, this is not heaven. We're, we are not there yet. I, I, I hope you weren't mistaken in thinking that the year 2021, everything was going to go and get better and everything was going to be all better and there weren't going to be any more trials anymore. Guess what? We're going to find at the end of the chapter, there's more trials. But the promised land is what we're looking for. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, going, uh, keeping our eyes heaven bound and looking for the coming of the Savior, just being busy and, and faithful right here, going where the Savior leads us. May God, may God help us in that reflection. Notice also there's a godly distinction, verse 19. The horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots, with his horsemen, and seeing the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry ground, a dry land in the midst of the sea. There are only two kinds of people on this earth. There are those that are God's people, and there are those that are not God's people. It isn't based upon your race. It is not based upon your religion. It is not based upon your background. It is not based upon where you come from, uh, what side of the tracks you live on, uh, what your job is. It isn't based upon how good you are or how bad you are. It isn't based on any of those things. It's based on your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Listen, uh, it doesn't matter how good you want to be, how good you try to be, you cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Uh, uh, there is no race that God favors more than any other. Uh, yes, the, the people of Israel were God's chosen people, but, but they rejected his son, Jesus Christ. And, and the light of the, of the world, the light of the gospel has come into all of the world. And that was always his plan. But he needed somebody for, for that seed to come through. Can I tell you, God loves all of us, but the, and God wants to save all of us. But we need to place our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. There is, a, there is a, a godly distinction. Here the distinction was, those that were against God, they drowned. Those that were God's people, he saved. Can I tell you, there are those here that are God's people. They've trusted in what Jesus Christ did for them. There is a, listen, this isn't the only time we see this distinction. You see it, you see it in Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the, in the way. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the way of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth uh, in, in, the, in the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree. And it goes on to talk about the blessings of being a man who loves God and loves God's word. Uh, uh, but then it says, but the ungodly are not so. There's a distinction between the godly and the ungodly. Here we see this distinction again. In the New Testament, we see that distinction. It's those that trust in Christ and those that deny Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you have the Son, you have eternal life. If you have not the Son, you have not eternal life. It is that simple. It has nothing to do with anything else. There is a godly distinction. And then a grateful devotion here. In verse 20 and 21, 
It says, verse 20, it says, And Miriam the prophetess and the sisters of Aaron took a timbrel in her hands, and all the women went out after her with the timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, and the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So, so what's, what's, what's the saying? Moses and the, and, and the, and the, and the men, the, the other leaders in, uh, and the, of the children of Israel, the men are singing and they're praising God. And you know what? Miriam says, I want to get in on this. And she begins to praise God herself. Now, it's not, maybe not something that she would normally do, uh, uh, but, but listen, she didn't want to be left out of this whole idea of bringing honor and praising God for what he has done. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter how little you, noise you make when you praise God, I just want you to understand you can praise God and should praise God for what he has done in your life. We're almost done. That doesn't mean we are done, but we're almost done. In verse 22 and 23, we see the, the last point, the practical resolution here. Verse 22 says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the water of Marah, for they were bitter, not the people, but the water. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Anytime that we have passionate rejoicing in what God has done and personal reflection of what God has done, it should bring us to a point of practical resolution. And what I see here is a failure for the people of Israel. First, we see the imminent trial. Uh, and right after, they'd seen great victory. I mean, amazing victory. God held back the water while they walked on dry ground. Now they're walking on dry ground and saying, where's the water? We're thirsty. Give me something to drink. It's been three days. Now, I understand there's two million people uh, that have just walked out of Egypt and across that, and they're all thirsty. That's a lot of water they're looking for. They finally find some three days into the, into the journey, but it's, it's bitter. It's, it's, and they can't drink it. Uh, they're, they're thirsty and they're crying out. Well, they begin to murmur against Moses and said, you know what? We'd be better off if we were back there in Egypt. At least we'd have water to drink. How many Christians come to that point and, and, and they, they've seen great victory in their life. God has saved them. God has done this and that and continues to work in their life. And then they come across some trial and they begin to murmur and complain. Say, why is God doing this to me? I just don't understand it. You know what I have learned? Instead of complaining, instead of questioning, I have learned to, stand back, to step back and say, okay, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Because Every single time I run into a situ situation like this, I see God come through in a miraculous way. And they're going to see a miracle here in a second, but they're not going to, and they're going to benefit from the miracle because they're going to get to drink the water, but they're not going to have the blessing of God upon them because they were murmuring, complaining. Now, now this is, we'll see this is a test here in a moment, but this is the imminent trial. Can I, can I tell you, uh, uh, 20, like I said, 2021 is not going to be perfect. We're not going to suddenly be able to take off the mask and go and do whatever we want to do. And, and, and there's still going to be government overreach. And there's still going to be a division among people. There's still going to be problems and trials in families. And there's going to be all kinds of problems. 2021 is not a reset to make everything better. There are imminent trials in our future. The question is, are we going to look back at 2020 and see, 
Man, did you see what God did in 2020 with as difficult as things were? Listen, when they told us to, that we had to close the doors of the church, I wasn't sure what we were going to do. I wasn't sure how we were going to pay the bills. I wasn't sure what the, the missionaries that we had scheduled were going to do. I, I wasn't sure if church, if church members would fall away because was, I wasn't sure. I said, God, you're going to need to do something here. And guess what? God blessed and as soon as the doors were open, guess what? We were at the limit of 50 within, within a week or two and, and, and stayed there the entire time. And our, our, our offerings didn't go down. Our offerings went up. We stopped passing the plate. And guess what? We had more and more money. Don't understand it. We didn't have the cute little kids come over, stand there begging. That's, I, I like that trick. No, just a box in the back. And as God leads, and people put their money in, put their tithe in, their gifts and their offerings. And our offerings went way up. God, God provided and took care of it. And we were able to help, help people in need because guess what? There were people here in need. And I praise God that we were able to do that. How did we do it? It wasn't because of my leadership. It wasn't because, listen, they didn't cross that Red Sea because of Moses. Moses just did what God said. It wasn't his idea. God led him to, where the, to the Red Sea. God gave, told him what to do. I'm not going to stand here and take, take ownership of any kind of victory or any kind of, kind of blessing of what happened in 2020 other than God is faithful to us. And when I see the trials coming in 2021, because they'll come, Say, bless God, show me what you're going to do, Lord, because we need you. See the trial. We see, their, we see their immature tendencies in verse 24. They begin to murmur. Look at verse 25. We see that this was a test. And he, Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. He proved them. He was just testing them. This wasn't a, he wasn't trying to make things harder for them. He wanted to see how, what their response was going to be. And they failed. He got to show himself faithful. They failed because they murmured instead of trusting. Don't question God. I, I, listen, I, 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 <laughs> I, I've been there. I've, I've seen difficult times in, in, in my life growing up. Times where I wasn't, you know, my, my dad broke his back. He wasn't working. There times in my life where I lost a job. What, what's going to happen? God is always faithful. God is always faithful. Don't fail the test. Instead, let's learn to trust. Verse 26 says this. This is God's response to the people and to Moses. And said, this is God speaking, If thou wilt, diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. 
I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, we, we like to focus on the end of that, where it says, I will, I will not put none of these diseases upon thee, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. But this is based upon, this promise is based upon one word at the beginning of the verse. If. If you'll trust me. If you'll follow me. Then I won't put any... What would be the purpose of God putting those diseases on his people? To bring them back. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the things that we go through are trials, uh, are tests. Uh, it's, it's God testing to see, and not, not, not to see for him to see. He already knows what's in our heart. He already knows what we're going to do. He's testing so that we see our failures. That's important. We need to make sure we understand that. God already knows the weakness of our heart. He knows what our response is going to be. And his, he's, remember, he's God, the creator of all things, knows all things. There's nothing that God does not know. He knows what you're going to do. It's called his foreknowledge. He says, if you do this, if you trust me, if you follow me, if you do what I've called you to do, then I'll never place any of these diseases upon you. But how many times are the problems in our life not a result of God testing us, but they're a result of our disobedience? They're not punishments. Hebrews chapter 11 says that they're chastenings. There's a difference between punishment and chastening, and I learned this when I became a father. I don't want to punish my children. Right? And sometimes, we, we, sometimes as parents, let's just I'll be, I'll be honest, we punish our children. We get upset because they didn't listen, and we do something in response to that. That's punishment. God doesn't punish us. God chastens us. And his chastening is to bring us back in line with his word. To bring us back to a place where we trust him. I felt that chastening. God, for three years I ran from God in my early 20s. And, and God chastened me and brought me back. There's a difference between chastening and trials. But in all of this, God just wants us to trust him. Remember, he is the God who did miraculous things there in Exodus. Uh, he, uh, all the miracles that we read about, it's just amazing. The fact that the miracles that we can see in our, in our, in our lives in the last year, what God has done is beyond imagine, imagining, beyond uh, comprehension. But that God from the Red Sea is the same God that we worship today. He is God. How are you going to respond to that this year? Looking back at all that God's done this last year, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with praise? Maybe you just realize you haven't been praising God enough. And, and that's, that, 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 if that's the case, then, 
today, make sure you take that time to praise God. We're going to open up the altar here in a minute. We're going to pray. At that point in time, you can come, and you can just come and praise God right here. Maybe, maybe there's something else going on in your life, and, and, and uh, you're reflecting back on what God's done, and you just want to thank him for what he's done in your life. Or, 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 or make a promise like, like uh, Moses did, that there will be a time of habitation in your home where you begin to worship him and praise him from now on forward. Or maybe you're in the midst of a trial right now and you've been murmuring and complaining. Even though you've already seen God, all that God's already done. And it's just time to stop complaining. It's time to step back and watch God work. And place your faith and trust in Him. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here this morning and God's speaking to you, would you raise your hand just so I could be praying for you? Hands all, all over the place. Put your hands down. In a moment, like I said, the altar is going to be open. You can come forward. You can, you can pray. You can see, deal with, let God deal with you there. Maybe you're here today, and you've never, by faith, trusted in, in Christ for your salvation. You've never trusted in Him for anything. If you were to die today, you wouldn't know. You don't know where you would spend eternity. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody like that at all? I see, I see a hand. Anybody else? If that's you, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I don't want to make you feel bad. I don't want to feel like people are watching, I'm going to pray for you. I would say that the best thing, the, most, the greatest thing that you could ever do is to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. You cannot be saved by anything that you do or who you are. And the problems of this life are, are, are honestly nothing compared to eternity. In Jesus Christ, he saved you. He saved you because he wanted to change you. He saved you because he loved you. But you can only do that as we place our trust in him. If you raise your hand for salvation, in a moment I'm going to pray. We're going to have an invitation. You can come forward. Um, we'll have somebody take a Bible, if you're willing, and show you what the Word of God has to say about how you can be saved. Father God, I thank you for this day, Lord. I, God, I thank you for all that you've done. Lord, as we're getting ready to open up the invitation, Lord, I thank you for the hands that went up. And God, I pray that you would just continue to work in their hearts. Lord, for the one that's not sure of their salvation, God, I pray that, that you would uh, speak to the heart, Lord, draw them to you. Lord, may they May they willingly come to, to hear the gospel. Lord, may the gospel be the power that it is that changes us. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done. We leave your, everything in your hands now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.